welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. Hello, everyone. I am Jacqueline Lamper. I am head of marketing for Nokia Federal. I am based out of the Washington, D.C. area. I've been with Nokia now for uh, nine months and absolutely love it. So my job at Nokia Federal is to help elevate Nokia in the U.S. federal market. So helping with their go-to-market strategy uh, in the DOD civilian homeland security space. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the Remote Work Tribe podcast. Can you speak a little bit to some of the most exciting things you're working on these days? So some of the most exciting things I'm working on, Nokia is an international organization. They're headquartered in uh, Finland. And so Nokia Federal is is working to become a new entity within the United States, becoming a foci mitigated organization to better align and work with the U.S. federal government. So um, it's really exciting to help a international organization stand up a foci mitigated organization. Um, it's exciting work. It's hard work. But it's uh, really cool to be able to work uh, on the marketing side of things. And you might not think that there's a lot of marketing involved with getting a company through FOCA mitigation, but there's a lot of stuff to do behind the scenes with that. So it's exciting. Awesome. So one of the things that kind of drew me and why I'm so excited to have you on the podcast is you have a background that's very different than a lot of the other people who I've interviewed on the podcast so far. Can you speak to how you landed this role at Nokia Federal? Yeah, so my background um, is I've taken a lot of uh, twists and turns in my career, all in the creative space, but uh, it all has really led up to me joining Nokia. So I started out uh, as as a as a journalist and got my bachelor's degree from the University of Missouri Journalism School thought I would be this next really like the next great interactive media journalist uh, covering really cool stories probably traveling gallivanting all over the world interviewing people uh, but that ended up not being my true passion and then transferred to more PR work and graphic design and all this really creative things. And then I decided, hmm, I I, I really like the business side of things. So I ended up going to Syracuse and getting my master's in communications from there. And that really catapulted me in the DC area in the federal space and started getting into contracts and working with the U.S. federal government on various contracts related to communications and marketing, helping them uh, with various various things. And then um, that led me to uh, Nokia, where I'm today, where I'm leading marketing for their federal division. Yeah, that's so awesome. Um, and I love the back. I love the diverse backgrounds that 
marketers and PR professionals have. What was the trend, the initial, going back in your career a little bit, um, what was that initial transition like going from that journalist mindset to now being on the other side and quote unquote, the evil PR side? Like, how was that transition for you? You know, I think it, 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 it wasn't as bad as what I think a lot of people think it is that transition, even when I was a journalist and it, media has changed a lot in my opinion. It's, and people can get upset with me by saying this, but media now I, I feel is all about getting the clicks, all about getting the views and less about telling the story. There are exceptions out there. There are media that does tell, they do tell really great stories, but then at the end of the day, they're wanting to make advertisers happy so they can have, get more money to pay those bills, to pay the reporters, to X, Y, Z, you name it. Um, so that transition was rather easy for me. And then I also think with the education that I got from the University of Missouri, um, I was in a program called the Convergence Journalism Program, um, and it was different than traditional journalism. So that mindset in there of being able to take something and make it across the board, whether it be for the website or for radio, or for TV, or was starting to build that foundation of, of where I am today, of not, you don't necessarily have to build something just for a journalistic piece, but you can do it on the PR side, on the marketing side, or the communication side. Absolutely. Kind of speaking a little bit more to kind of the marketing and the PR side, how did you go about like understanding all of the kind of metrics and KPIs and jargon that was in that space? In the, in the GovCon space? Uh, in, well, that as well as just in general marketing and PR. So I think it's really understanding your audience, like who are you targeting? So if you can answer those questions, like who you're targeting, what are you trying to get after? And um, like, what's the point? And I, it goes back to those basics. If you can answer the who, what, when, why, how, you can establish those metrics and be able to gauge if something is successful or not. You can throw metrics all you want at things, but if you can't answer those questions, those metrics don't mean anything. So for example, if I'm going um, exhibiting at a conference uh, in the GovCon space, it's all about conferences, it's all about network networking. So it, I'll put metrics on, you know, the amount of meetings we have, the, the quality of people, leads that come to the conference. So we'll scan badges and track all of that and do all those things. But I'll put uh, tangible metrics for the team for myself for those. But it's really going back to those basics, who, what, when, why, how, to be able to establish quality metrics. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I wonder if this is a perfect segue into the next part where you're talking about like who, what, when, how. Something that just like really drew my attention is just the ability to be have to like when you are working as part of such a large organization some of those kind of like cross making sure that everyone is on the same page and kind of going in the right direction I can imagine can be a challenge can you speak to that yeah so working with an international organization and I actually really working in the U.S. federal market 
there are a lot of checks and balances. There's a lot of things that you have to ensure that you're doing correctly and in line and within regulations. So um, I, I work with people not only within the United States, but from in Europe and ensuring that what we do external, externally, external facing um, isn't going to get us in trouble because at the end of the day, I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to get my boss into jail. So we're doing those checks and balances, ensuring that we're complying with, with laws, with human rights, with all of these different things before we release something externally um, to the media or to even and we're at an event, anything that we're releasing, we have those checks and balances in place. Absolutely. That's such a great point. I can imagine what are some uh, kind of shifting gears a bit. What are some of the what kind of approaches that you have when you are communicating across the organization um, with people who might be, you know, in Finland or somewhere else all around the world? Like, how do you make sure that like everyone is on the same page? And also, you know, when you are communicating across six hours, eight hours, you know, 12 hour different time zones. You know, I do think it is important to be adaptive because when you're working for an international company, you're having to do deal with people that are on very different uh, time zones. And being adaptable, sometimes you are going to have to get on a 5 a.m. call. Uh, is it fun? Absolutely not. But it, if, if it gets the job done um, and makes somebody's life easier, it, it's worth it. And you're not going to be doing that every day. At least I hope not. Uh, but you're not going to be getting on a 5 a.m. call every day. And, um, and then also knowing communications wise, because sometimes there's language barriers as well, but communicating across from people from different cultures um, is important to, to have that understanding as well. Whether you're speaking with somebody in Finland or if you're speaking somebody in India or Canada or wherever in the world, having that understanding is important as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I can speak to this one strangely enough, as I've been to Helsinki before. Um, and I know as a culture, uh, Finns tend to be a little bit more reserved and or introverted. I'm curious to hear, like, is that something that you've seen as well? And have there been any things that, you know, or like, you know, and even for that example, just anywhere, even like when you're communicating with people in India as well, like, are there certain like kind of cultural nuances that yeah, how do you like learn to recognize certain cultural nuances and make sure that you're communicating in a way that isn't, you know, going to be offensive to somebody in another right. culture? I think it's always important when you first get on that call and people are doing introductions and you had that little small talk five minutes, a couple minutes before a meeting. That's a good time to, to just observe and, and watch and, and see how people are interacting and how people are engaging. And that's a good way to, to read the crowd and how you should be interacting during that meeting. Um, so that's what I usually do. Um, whether somebody uh, that is in Finland <laughs> or another country, I use those, those first couple minutes to see how they interact. And then that's how I kind of move forward. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'd just be curious to hear like, 
in those like in those small talk conversations, whether you're at a conference or on a conference call, what are some of the things that you look for that might not be so obvious that can really tune that can you can really tune into to be able to kind of read, you know, some of those nuances? So if like I have a, a, a group that I have a standing call with, um, they'll they'll all get on the call and we'll walk through every single person. How are you? How's your day? Good morning or good afternoon, yada, yada, yada. And I know that I need to engage that way with each one of them. And then at the end of the call, I need to say goodbye to each one of them as well, because that's how that group interacts. And so I do that with, with that, that group as well. How do you like kind of build team collaboration and kind of get trust that, like I said, the trust that you need to be able to collaborate and perform like, like a well-oiled machine across so many different time zones? So building trust is key. And I think the one thing that I have instilled in me from early on from having some really good managers and some really, really bad managers is that every person is different and that is okay. And every person has a different work ethic and that's okay. And it's going back to learning how people work and we're learning how people, how their emotions are, learning just how they, who they are is important to helping to build that trust. So if somebody needs more, I don't want to say attention, but more attention, I'll give them that. But if somebody needs just, you know, a little bit of guidance and they're off to the races, then that's what I'm going to give them. And then really just being there for people that I work with or my employees or any of that, just being there for them and assisting them. And then also understanding, I think a, a, a good part of being a good manager is having understanding. So that goes back to having my diverse background. I have background as a programmer, I have a background as a graphic designer, I have a background in journalism and all these different things that all fall into marketing in some way. So I, even though I'm not an expert in all these areas, I have a little bit of grasp of understanding that when they come to me for things, I have a basic understanding that I can at least help guide them to some kind of solution. And I think that having that is, helps build that trust for the, for team members or for colleagues that I work with. Absolutely. You said like, three nuggets in there that I really want to like follow up on kind of the first what that you really brought up was like how you show up as a manager and as a leader to your direct reports um is everything are there some strategies or tactics that you've learned maybe even just from by proxy with you know past managers you've had both good and bad that have really really helped you show up as a leader and a manager that you are today I've learned a lot from bad managers and I've learned a lot from good managers. I've learned there's nothing good for micromanaging whatsoever, that, nothing good from that. So um, if you are a micromanager, there's ways to, to ease that. Um, but, and then from good managers as well as that 
I've learned that going back to everyone works differently and not everyone also necessarily needs to work nine to five. They might work nine to 10 and then might work from whenever, whenever in the middle of the night. So it's going back being adaptable for, for employees. It was some eye-opening advice that I got from a manager once that it's okay if everyone doesn't work at the same time, but if the quality is there and the work gets done and the client's happy, you're, you're good. You're doing your job. And it's just having those, those check-ins uh, is really what would be is needed. Absolutely. And let's just say, uh, you know, someone listening to this might realize, oh man, I think I might be micromanaging my team. <laughs> I mean, How we all sometimes I- fall into that trap, but it, um, I always try because I fall victim to that just like everyone else. None of, no one is perfect. And, but it's just knowing, then I go back to knowing what I felt like being micromanaged is all that I need to like kind of just take a step back and be like, okay, okay, that person can figure it out. They they were hired for a reason. Let's work through what that is, like what what's what maybe the issue is. There could be something going on. It could be something going on in their life. Um, so it's always good to just have that and then maybe take a step back. Yeah, absolutely. That's such an important thing. It's like remembering that, like, you know, the people that you are managing are first and foremost people and making sure that you kind of show up and realize like, hey, work is only a part of their life, not their entire life. And you want to keep them happy. If they're going home miserable, that's not good for the organization. That's not good for them. It's not good for their family. It's not good for their health. So it doesn't do anyone any good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you said something else a little a few minutes ago that I thought was interesting as well, which is not everybody works has to work at the exact same time. Um, and I'm a big believer, and we've talked about it a bunch on this podcast in the past, all about asynchronous communication and how to like lead asynchronously. Do you have any like kind of strategies or best practices that have worked for you? Yeah, so you know, in my a previous role, I had um, somebody that she had a lot going on in her life, but she was, she was amazing and really couldn't work the traditional hours. And, you know, we had a conversation. I think if somebody, if an employee can't really work those traditional hours, you want to have that conversation with them and then work up, work with a schedule that does work for them. And that actually helps strengthen our relationship by setting those boundaries and setting up, okay, you can't work that, that's fine. What what does work and what can we do to make your life better? So you're happy, I'm happy and the work gets done. So we set those expectations and she thrived after that. She killed it after that by setting those boundaries and those expectations of of the more non-traditional work hours. And it was, you know, during COVID, so it was completely remote, which was fabulous. That's, uh, that's awesome to hear. And I know probably having that conversation can be a little bit uncomfortable. 
And as managers, sometimes you don't necessarily always want to have those hard conversations where you have to, you know, set expectations and boundaries. How do you kind of approach those conversations that you kind of come in with the fact that like, obviously in this case, it worked out really, really well, but you know, how do you go into those conversations, you know, in a way where it's like, you know, might be like, this might be hard. I don't know how my direct report's going to take this. Yeah. So I always, I always get those butterflies in my stomach. Uh, maybe turn a little red in my face. I hate having hard conversations or awkward conversations or these like, I don't want to say confrontational conversations, but they're confrontational conversations in my opinion when they're not like, you know, positive, like you're doing a good job. But I always have a conversation before with my boss, always wanting to loop them in and, and getting advice saying, I need to have this kind of difficult conversation This is how I think it's probably going to go. Any advice that you might get, it's good to, and I I usually talk also with a mentor as well, just to get some advice and ideas of best ways to handle the situation. Because my fear is I don't want to go to somebody, have a difficult conversation, and they're walking away defeated and feeling miserable. So I try to get really good guidance from senior leadership and from mentors that I that I trust so that I have an arsenal with me that I can go have that conversation and it ends up in a positive experience for myself and for the person that I'm having that conversation with. Totally. It sounds like you've actually really been able to carry like a very strong personal like sounding board of senior leaders and managers that you can turn to. What's some of the best advice that you've gotten from like mentors or current or past managers for handling these kind of difficult conversations? I think you should always pause if um, managers of or uh, mentors have always told me, you know, you don't never want to go to a conversation heated. You want to take a step back, think about it before you even go in there, talk it through with, with leadership beforehand and then you don't know what's happening in that individual's life either so you kind of you don't they don't have to tell you and that's completely fine but you want to have just that understanding that work doesn't evolve around that individual there's there could be those external factors going on you want to make sure that that individual's whole and that that work can continue and sometimes when you have those difficult conversations, um, sometimes you find that maybe the position that that individual is just not happy in that role. Um, I've had that happen before and working. And so you have that whole other caliber. Can you find another position or, or is that, is that person looking to leave? So having those mentors to guide you and give give me advice on what are those different scenarios that you can run into and the best ways to guide them. Um, but the biggest advice they've given me is take a step back, pause, think about that. Think about the scenarios, think about what the individual is saying and don't let it get into your head. Don't let it like fester because in the end of the day, everyone's human. That's really great advice. If you could go back to when you first became, when you first managed your very first employee, what's what, knowing what you know now, what's one piece of advice you would tell yourself? 
Oh man. I would actually take my advice of just step back, take a minute and think. I think that's probably what I would I would what advice I would give myself. Um, when I was younger and sometimes I'm at fault of that today, I say something before I, I think, and we're probably all at fault of that, but sometimes I'm, I'm too quick to answer before thinking. And I wish when I was younger, I would pause and maybe wait a day <laughs> to respond on things or to do things. Um, but that was, that's probably the biggest advice I would have given myself as a 20 something year old. Absolutely. It's really easy to like, kind of get in the moment, say something and be like, oh man, I said something stupid or I regretted this or this didn't go out the, yeah. this didn't go the right way. And yeah. What would have happened if I did this? What if waited an hour instead? Yeah. It's such a simplistic advice because some people might have advice of like, oh, I wish I would have read this book or gone and got this degree, but I, I think simplicity simplicity is sometimes better. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to something you said a little while ago that I kind of jotted down in my notes, which is like having those conversations and working remotely during COVID. A, kind of the first question I had for you is, you know, when the pandemic first happened and there was so much uncertainty, uh, was that kind of the first time you'd worked remotely before or had, did you have prior remote work experience? No, it actually wasn't the first time I worked remotely. So I actually, my first experience working remotely was right after uh, I graduated from University of Missouri. I did a lot of remote um, work for some PR organizations and worked remotely uh, in Indiana uh, for about a year before I moved out to the DC area. And then after that, I actually worked remotely, surprisingly, for the US federal government when I was on contract, when my, my the building I was working in was condemned and they forced us out. So I worked remotely for about a year during that pre-COVID, which was entertaining. So I got a little bit of experience before the whole world shut down. Absolutely. And I can imagine like, you know, different, like, you know, there's a mess as someone who's worked remotely for quite a bit of time now, there's a very big difference between what it's like to work remotely today or, you know, pre-COVID versus what it was like to work remotely in 2020 during yeah. like the height of the pandemic. Can you maybe speak to maybe some of the lessons that you'd learned in those kind of original jobs that you had where you working remotely and how how you were able to kind of translate some of that when you know let's say to maybe team members who had never worked remotely until March of 2020. Yeah so I think it's really important to set a space within your home um, and that space only be dedicated to your teleworking environment and then you need to set your hours too because you can fall into the trap where you never get off the computer and you are always working at all hours of the day um that's not healthy so set a space and then set those hours and those expectations and at the end of the day if you can close that door and you don't open that door until the following morning it, it's really important to set that work-life balance and not fall into the trap of, oh, the computer's right here. 
let me go and answer one more email. And then the next thing it's like midnight and you're still working. So setting those expectations and then also just making it a, a nice environment. You don't need to spend a lot of money um, in your, your office or your workspace, but just something that you're comfortable with, whether it get beating, getting a standing desk or a nice plant to go next to your desk so you have something pretty to look at, but just something that you have in your office that is comfortable, that makes you happy is important as well in my opinion, in, in the house. And then also it doesn't hurt having some, some good little drinks in the in the fridge uh, midday if it's like sparkling water or something. Um, so you can go out and, and have a, a little break so you're not sitting at the desk all day either. Yeah, absolutely. Are there some like little small touches that you have in, that you kind of had back then and maybe even today that like make your work environment and quote unquote office feel like, you know, more personal or like, you know, help you be productive? Yeah, I mean, I, I did get a standing desk. I did actually during COVID, I bought a uh, cheap treadmill desk at on Amazon <laughs> during COVID. I, um, to my husband's surprise in a sarcastic way, not surprised that I barely used that. Um, but there are certain things that I've put in there. I've put pictures of my family so I can look at them and then um, just made it aesthetic so that when I go in there, it's a, it's a nice environment and it's, it's not gloomy and just another white walled room. Absolutely. And you said something a little bit interesting beforehand, which is like, it's really important to set boundaries and make sure you're not overworking. And I know that can be like, even just speaking to myself, that can be extremely hard to make sure you like, turn off at the end of the day. And like, you aren't just on your computer from the time you wake up. Yeah. So when you go to bed, are there things that you've done or maybe things that you've encouraged direct reports or people on your team who maybe have trouble unplugging at the end of the day when they are, and they said they are working remotely to like kind of set the, you know, to stop working and, you know, avoid overworking and potentially going into burnout territory. Yeah, so if I see team members working and their timesheets are ridiculous hours, I'll say, I'll have a meeting with them and say, okay, you're working X amount of hours. That's that's excessive. That's a lot. What do we need to do to reevaluate your workload so that you're not so overwhelmed? Um, I know a lot of companies, they like to push the envelope and get as much as like as much as they can out of employees. Um, but it's also good to not have that burnout because if an employee gets to burnout, there's so many jobs out there, they're gonna move in a heartbeat and they're gonna get hired so fast. The market, even though everyone says it's a little bit of a downturn in the marketing space, it's still, it's still hot in my opinion. So it, it hasn't experienced that downturn yet. So working with them and having those conversations with them. If I do happen to be online and I see an employee at online at, at 8, 8 p.m. at night, I might message being like, why are you online? Get off, go spend time with your family. And then I also encourage employees to use that vacation time. It is given to you. And a lot of people don't end up using that. And it's so important to use that PTO to reset 
that I encourage my employees to and my colleagues to to take it. I take my PTO and I, I hope that my colleagues and employees take that PTO as well. Absolutely. That's such an important point of like incorporating rest and taking time away from work so yes. that you can come back refreshed and stronger. Before we wrap up, I always like to ask a handful of lightning round questions. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> um, if you had to write a book tomorrow, what would you write it about? Ooh, I don't know. I probably would write about traveling. I love traveling. I think there's just something about going and seeing the world, seeing other cultures and how, how the world is and maybe how to do it on a budget. People probably would be like, why aren't you writing something about marketing or about X, Y, and Z? There's enough of that out there already, but there's probably enough on that in traveling, but I love traveling. It would probably be something related to that. Awesome. Fellow traveler here too. Um, where's your favorite place you've been? Let's see. You know, I, my husband's Lebanese and I went to Lebanon actually right before the world shut down. And I absolutely loved Lebanon. Um, but I also, I also loved, um, Ireland as well. There's, I mean, they're polar different, polar opposite, um, environments, but there's something unique about each, each country. Yeah, absolutely. And you can learn so much from just, you know, immersing yourself in that local culture. Yeah. Um, what's one book you'd recommend that all leaders should read? Hmm. You know, <laughs> during COVID, I highly recommended uh, Crisis Communications. Um, I forget who wrote the book, but uh, it, a book about crisis communications, because it seemed like there was just, there was one thing after another, and a lot of companies weren't handling uh, what was going on, in my opinion, in, in the correct way. It was, you know, everyone getting, jumping on the bandwagon and posting things and saying things because other companies and other people were saying things. And so reading a book about crisis communications, I think would be something I still highly recommend people reading about of how to go through and work through a crisis when it occurs. Yeah, absolutely. And if you were to win $10 million tomorrow, what would you spend it on? I would probably actually invest the money a I would pay off my house but then I would reinvest that money so that it would continue to make more money got it and finally it's been amazing chatting with you where can listeners the remote work tribe find you online uh, I'm on LinkedIn so please connect with me happy to uh, friend you on LinkedIn and continue the conversation there absolutely and thank you so much thank you Jessica Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com, to learn more about remote work trends and insights.